I had the privilege to participate in a mission trip to Montana this past week. And Lee and Christy Merck are working to plant churches in Red Lodge, Montana and Carbon County and even beyond that. And so as they began to engage the community, as they had a heart to see the gospel shared there, there was a particular man that took to Facebook and attacked them viciously uh, in terms of who they were and, and their reasons for being there. He had found an old sermon in <clears throat> that Lee had preached in his preparation days of, uh, before going into Montana. Uh, it was entitled, uh, you know, uh, Dispelling the Darkness in Red Lodge. You can understand where a, a non-believer, someone that doesn't understand uh, the, the true light, uh, could be somewhat disturbed by that. But Lee determined that he would not make a response uh, on Facebook, that he would just accept it and, and continue to do what God had called him to do, to minister and to serve. And following this rodeo experience, what we did as a team was to serve the community by working at the rodeo. Uh, we did all kinds of things from uh, selling programs and uh, working in the concession stand, uh, cleaning toilets, and all of these kinds of things. There were about, uh, I don't know, 26 or 27 of us, uh, except in the bathroom line, and I think there was 40 or 45 at that point. Y'all get that after a while. But uh, the reality of it is, is because Lee had every right to defend uh, his, his character and everything on Facebook, but he chose not to. And the very man that had started that attack, the main attacker, came to him after the rodeo this year and voiced his appreciation for all that he had done. And so we begin to see a softening of, of a heart uh, toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. He also had an opportunity for about an hour to sit down and witness with the chairman of the rodeo association he shared with me that day following the rodeo. And so by not worrying about his rights, uh, about the attacks that were coming, but simply humbling himself and continuing to serve and, and keep the door open for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin to see those hearts being tendered or being you know, uh, softened toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to talk about today, I've entitled it, Surrender Our Rights. You notice there's a question mark after it. Our culture today would never say we, there's any time we should surrender our rights. But Paul teaches something very different. There's some very legitimate reasons why you and I need to be willing to give up our rights. And we're going to look at that today as we look at the example of Paul. And so I want to use as our text 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 15 through 27. <clears throat> If you're physically able, I'd ask that you stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 15. <clears throat> but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this in my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. <clears throat> to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for the privilege that we have to come together and share in a time of worship and celebration of all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that uh, as uh, we look into your word today that you teach us and that you will show us exactly how we are to respond uh, to your word as you speak to us. Uh, Lord, I want to lift our pastor to you uh, and his family as they are away. I pray that this time would be a time of refreshing, a time of renewal for them, and that you'll bring them back as they uh, safely, as they continue to, to lead and, and, and just shepherd this flock here at Longview Point. We thank you for leadership like Wade that desires to honor and glorify you and see people saved and discipled. And so we just commit our time to you together today, and I pray it in the precious and the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So the passage that I read is a passage where Paul is explaining why he is giving up his rights. Uh, the, the first part of chapter 9, he says, I have certain rights. I have a right to be paid uh, for sharing the gospel. And he gave multiple reasons why that would be true. And they came from the word of God. So they were biblical reasons. But he says, I have chosen to give up those rights for the sake of the gospel, uh, so that nothing hinders that gospel. Uh, but in the bigger context of what he's dealing with here, uh, in, in order to, to do that, we need to understand that uh, Paul was dealing with food that was sacrificed to idols. And this was a twofold theological or doctrinal issue that they were struggling with in the Corinthian church. The first one is, do we eat in the temple with the rest of them uh, when they are eating a meal and offering and sacrificing to the idols? The second part of that is, 
do I go, you know, do I eat meat that's sacrificed to idols that may have been sold in uh, the marketplace? Because what we find is that the, the, the celebrations around in some of these temples, this was the social event. And it was very uh, common for everyone to attend these and be a part of the social activity. Even if you didn't believe in, in the particular god or idol that this was being uh, offered to. Uh, and so that was the, the one question. And then, of course, the meat that was sacrificed, some to uh, the false god, some was given to the priest of that particular temple, some of it the worshipers ate. But the priest, if they did not need it all, it would be sold, it would be taken to the marketplace and sold there. And so we found that much of the meat that was sold in the marketplace was indeed meat that was sacrificed to idols. And so you know, do we need to be careful that we never eat this, or do, is it okay for us to eat it? And so we find, I'm going to kind of answer, you know, how Paul answered that before we delve into our text of, of giving up or surrendering our rights. Um, and so he answered the first part of that with a very definite, no, we're not to participate uh, in these celebrations where these false gods, these idols, are, are being worshipped. Uh, and so we, we find the, the answer to these questions in, in verse 10. First of all, he talks about in verse 13 that temptation is common to all men. And even though we may be followers of Christ, believers in Christ, if we're sitting alongside and participating in these events that are idol worshiping and, sac in, and offering sacrifice to idols, uh, and these events associate, associated with immorality, and certainly there are strongholds of Satan and his demons, then we are likely to fall into sin because we are being tempted in those situations. He shares that in, in chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, and we're beginning with 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry. You see, he wants us to flee from it, not even be involved in the opportunity to be tempted. We should flee from idolatry. And then in verses, uh, look down at verse 20 of chapter 10. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Verse 21 you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So he answers the first part of that very clearly. We are not to participate in those activities that open us up to uh, idolatry, temptation, demonic activity in our lives. Those things that would not totally honor and glorify God. And so we need to recognize that. So that's how he answered that one. The second one, of course, he, he stated that these idols are really nothing. These gods are not real gods. The food that's sacrificed to them, we're free to eat it. He says, if you go into a, a friend's house and they offer you something to eat, you eat whatever they put in front of you. <clears throat> if they 
And you don't make anything of the fact that it might be meat that was sacrificed to idols. But if they bring it up and say, this is meat that was sacrificed to idols, then you don't eat it because you could cause them to stumble. And so it really has to do with whether or not our freedom would be an infringement on someone else's opportunity to clearly hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now let's look at the example that Paul shared in his own life of why he gave up the privileges of being paid. Uh, he says that I have every right to, be, to receive a salary. I have every right to, to travel uh, with a wife as Peter did and some of the others. He was saying, but I gave up all of those rights. And here are three reasons that we find in the text why he gave those rights up. And the very first one is for the gospel's sake in verses 15 uh, through 18 of chapter 9. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And so Paul says, I give up my rights first and foremost for the gospel's sake. Paul wanted the message of the gospel to be free from any obstacle or hindrances in the minds of lost sinners. You see, when, when Lawson said, there's a tariff on your bulletin, and if, if you're a visitor with us, we want you to fill that out and put it in the offering plate. That's all we want from you. We don't, we're not asking you to give. Because we just want to know you. We want to get to know you better. And there's a, uh, for 18 fruitful years, Dr. H.A. Ironside pastored the Moody Church in Chicago. The one that recorded this story says, I recall the first time I heard him announce an offering. He said, we ask God's people to give generously. If you are, a, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, we do not ask you to give. We have a gift for you, eternal life through faith in Christ. He made it clear that the offering was for believers, lest the unsaved in the congregation stumble over money and then reject the gospel. You see, Paul just as H.A. Ironside, didn't want any type of monetary issues to stand in the way of them recognizing that the gospel is totally free. And so Paul says that he desired to, to, to maintain that freedom. Uh, he says, I've made no use of any of these rights. He says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity was laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this in my own will, I have a reward. But if not in my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. You see, uh, God had given Paul a divine stewardship. Every one of us have a divine stewardship to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he says that, you know, his boasting is not that he preaches the gospel. His boasting is in the gospel itself and all that God has done. And so we have a stewardship. But Paul is saying, it's not, I'm not simply sharing the gospel because I have to fulfill this stewardship. I share this gospel because I want to, because I'm compelled to, because I want the Jews and I want the Gentiles, and I want everyone to know the Jesus of the Bible like I know the Jesus of the Bible. He has a, a divine stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says that, that the stewards are to be faithful. So we, we are to be faithful proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, God would see to it that Paul would receive his wages. He wasn't concerned about a physical wage. He, uh, you know, from, from the churches, he did have to have money to survive, and, and he worked. Uh, he was a bivocational apostle, if you will. And he worked in order that his needs could be met. And, and there were a few churches that helped him along the way, but he, he didn't request that. And he made it very clear here that I'm not asking you to do it now. I'm sharing this with you in order that you understand why I did what I did and establish for you a pattern of making sure that there are no obstacles to the gospel of Jesus Christ that can be found in your life. And so he knew that his wages would ultimately be given by God. He's not worried about the things that he can store up in this life, but he's storing up treasures in heaven. Um, Paul's reward, he finally tells us what it is there. He said, Paul's reward was the joy of preaching the gospel without charge. So it was an attitude that says, I absolutely want nothing except the joy of doing it from sharing the gospel. You know, most everything we do, we, we're always thinking, well, you know, how is this going to benefit me? What advantage am I going to gain here? But Paul is saying when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to be of such an attitude that says, I want nothing at all to stand in the way of a, the free uh, receiving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want nothing that would benefit me uh, in, a, in a personal or worldly way uh, to come from this. Paul meant by this, my reward is the joy of preaching the gospel without charge. He's, he, he meant that no man could accuse him of underhanded motives or methods as he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are, I'm sure that there are many times when people are driven away from Christ. Uh, when we give the appearance that we're more interested in money or in attention or putting on a show. And we need to be very careful that none of this takes place. And so, Paul says, I'm willing to give up my rights for the gospel's sake. Secondly, in verse 19 through 23, he says, I'll give up my right for the sinner's sake. In verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Because he was free, Paul was able to serve others and to set aside his own rights for their sake. 
What he's saying here is that you and I, we need to give up, be willing to give up our rights if it's going to benefit someone else, move them closer to Christ. Our culture doesn't teach us that. It says you better take care of number one. It says that you have rights and you need to demand those rights. Paul says give them up if it's going to move someone closer to Christ. You see, it says Paul, Paul when he preached to the Jews, he started with the Old Testament. When he preached to the Gentiles, he began with the God of creation. They didn't have that Old Testament background. <clears throat> he didn't have a, a canned sermon, if you will. But he met people where they were. He understood who they were. I remember when he was uh, in, in Athens, he walked around and he found a tomb to an unknown God. He says, I see that you have this and I'm here to tell you about that unknown God. And he made a transition to Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be looking for those opportunities and to identify with those that might be different from us in order to share the gospel with them. It's the way Jesus did it. When he was talking to, the, uh, to Nicodemus, he talked about being born again. When he encountered the woman at the well, he talked about living water. He found a natural avenue to identify and to share the gospel. Because it's about the sinner. It's not about me and my rights. It's not about you and your rights. It's about how in the world do we share the gospel in such a way that that sinner, that lost person, that unbeliever, is going to encounter the Jesus of the Bible. Paul didn't parade his liberty before the Jews, nor did he impose the law on the Gentiles. He was flexible in order that he could build a bridge. You see, a good witness tries to build bridges, not walls. When I, when I share with people about sharing the gospel message, I always say there's one thing that's critically important. Yes, we want to get to the gospel. We want, we want to get to the invitation. We want to, get, we want to know if someone is... That, that we would like to see them respond in a positive way. But ultimately, it's critical that we leave the door open for the next conversation. You see, we don't want to offend someone to the point of running them away from Christ. The Holy Spirit's in control. The Holy Spirit is in charge. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the results. We're simply to witness in such a way that we leave the door open for that next conversation if they're not responsive right now. You see, why did Jesus tell us about the four different kinds of soils? In order that we understand that sometimes this, the, the gospel message, the, the witness is going to fall upon deaf ears, hard soil. Sometimes there's going to be require a period of time of loosening up that soil, getting the rocks and the stones out, weeding the vines and the weeds away in order that ultimately there's fertile soil. And if we slam the door, we'll never get to that fertile soil. So we need to understand that Paul was building bridges, not walls. Paul's over, 
overriding purpose was to win people to Jesus Christ. You see, he had the right to eat whatever he pleased. He was free to do that. You and I are free to do that. But if it brought offense, he wouldn't do it. He set aside the law to reach the Gentiles. He even identified himself with legalistic, weak Christians so that he might help them grow. And this is not compromise. We're not talking. Paul in no way compromised the moral law of God. He remained faithful to truth. He remained faithful to following Christ and his moral law in every way. But he was, he was always looking for those bridges to identify with someone in order that he could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul followed the example of the Savior and humbled himself to become the servant of all. You see, it's the attitude in which we approach someone. Not that I've got all the answers. You need to listen to me. But here's some truth I want to share with you. Because I love you. See, there's a difference. Paul cared about the Jews, his people. He wanted them to come to faith in Christ. He also cared about the Gentiles, and he wanted them to come to, see, come to faith. And so he followed the example that had been set by Jesus himself. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, there's a beautiful passage that tells us about the humility of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I don't know about you, but that's, that's hard for me. But Paul says, God says, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus modeled it. Paul imitated him. And he, he became a servant to all in order that he might win some. Humility is tough for us. But when we look at the commitments that, of a disciple of Jesus Christ in Luke 9, 23, it says, Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, we're denying ourselves. We're to put Christ at the center of our life, bringing honor and glory to Him. Walking in obedience to Him has got to be the priority of our life. 
taking up our cross daily, Jesus' cross was a sacrificial redemptive ministry on the behalf of us, others, at great personal cost to Jesus. I believe that's what our cross should be. Taking up our cross should be putting others first, serving them at whatever cost. So Paul says, I give up my rights for the gospel's sake, for the sinner's sake. And lastly, he said, I do it for my own sake. You see, what we need to understand, when we're walking in obedience to Christ, when we're fully surrendered to Him, and we're serving others and sharing the gospel, that's when we're going to be most blessed. Because that's what God's called us to do. It's for our own sake as well. Paul uses uh, athletic imagery in these verses uh, here. In, back in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. You see, to win a race, the preparation starts long before the day of the race. And the starting gun goes off. There's discipline that's going to have to happen. There's training that's going to have to happen. Oftentimes in our spiritual life we say, well, you know, I'm, gonna try. I'm trying to be a good person. Trying is not sufficient. There's a big difference between trying and training. I may have shared this before. But trying and training are significant differences. Let's take, for instance, I want to run a marathon. I decide six months from now I'm going to run a marathon. You look at me and say, you're crazy, man. Yeah. And so I could continue to eat banana pudding. In abundance. And continue to sit on the couch and watch TV rather than doing, uh, you know, getting some physical exercise and training for that run. And then the day of the race would come and I go to the starting line and say, man, I'm going I'm to try as hard as I can. And so about 100 yards down the, the pathway there, I'm, I'm already getting tired. Can, can hardly breathe. 200 yards, I mean, I'm in bad shape. At 300 yards, I fall flat on my face. Even though I tried hard. But you see, I I didn't do any training. I did not train myself to win the race. As as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have got to discipline ourselves. We need to train ourselves in order to be effective evangelists, effective witnesses for Jesus Christ, and to to live a, a righteous and a holy life in order that we can truly be effective for Christ. It's not just, yeah, I want to be a good person. I want, I'm going to try. You've got to, you got, to, you got to train in order to be an effective witness. And that's what Paul said. See, he's being benefited because of the training that's taking place in his life in order that he be effective. 
You see, the people in, in Corinth would be very familiar with the Greek Olympic Games and the, their own Ithmian Games. And so they understand this analogy and what Paul is talking about here. And so there's nothing wrong with food and fun. But if they interfere with your highest goals, then they can become a, hin a hindrance and not a help. You know, we all need physical nourishment. Authority or our rights. We have the right to eat any way we want to. We have the right to do a lot of things. But it's got to be balanced by discipline. And I'm not talking about going to the extreme on e either side of this. Those can lead us to weird places as well. But a, a genuine balance between our rights and discipline. In order that we prepare ourselves for the race that we are running. To give up his rights and have the joy of winning lost souls, Paul had to discipline himself. If we're going to find genuine joy and fulfillment in serving Christ, we're going to have to discipline ourselves. Because if we continue to be tossed to and fro, we're not going to have peace. We're not going to have joy. We're going to be, continue to be in a state of confusion and frustration. We need to discipline our lives. Paul didn't want to lose his reward. He speaks of, of a reward. And of course, you know, in, in a race in the Olympic Games, you know, unless it's a relay race, but ultimately there's going to be only one person or one team that wins. The reality of it is, is every one of us as children of God, as believers in Christ, we can win an eternal reward. And we're not talking about salvation in this case. Paul's not talking about salvation, but he's talking about a reward that will be given to him. Every believer can win an incorruptible crown when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. If we run this race according to the rules. You see, there's a direct correlation between a disciplined body and a spirit-filled life. You see, we have to follow the rules in order to, to run the race. At the Olympics, they're going to do drug testing. If you've taken an illegal substance, you're going to be disqualified. If you step out of your lane into someone else's lane and hinder them, you're going to be disqualified. There are multiple things that will lead to disqualification. And you and I need to pursue holiness and righteousness and discipline our lives in order that we run the race according to God's moral law, the way he's designed for us to, to, to run that race. And in so doing, we're going to, to be benefits for our sake. That's the best way we can live our life is in accordance with the plan that God has laid out for us in his word. And there's a, there's a correlation between a disciplined body and a spirit-filled life. You see, we, we often sit back and say, well, you know, I, I don't drink and I don't smoke. I don't cuss and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. And we take great pride in that. But what about how do you discipline your time to serve the Lord? Are you a good manager of that? And, and are you disciplined to set aside that time for a quiet time every day? 
and spend time with God in order that you know him and know his plan for your life? Are you setting aside that time where you can serve him and make a difference in the lives of other people? Are we disciplined? Are, are, we, are we taking care of ourselves from a health point of view so that we have greater capacity to serve him? You know, we can be very critical of someone that does this over here, but, you know, our undisciplined area is okay. The last uh, bullet point there, Paul sacrificed immediate gains for eternal rewards, immediate pleasures for eternal joy. We live in a society of instant gratification. I want what I want, and I want it now. I texted you 10 minutes ago. I hadn't heard from you yet. What's wrong with you? I'm just being ornery. Seriously, though, we live in a, in a culture of instant gratification. Paul's saying that's not what it's all about. That's not where you're going to be benefited most. That's not where you're going to find genuine joy. You're going to find real joy and peace and blessing when you give up immediate gains for eternal rewards and immediate pleasures for eternal joys. It's so countercultural, but it's real. <clears throat> So we've seen Paul's example, how he lived his life, how he was willing to give up his rights for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lost, and for his own sake. Now you and I have a, a question to answer as we look at this pattern, this example that he's lived out before us and recorded here in, in 1 Corinthians 9. Is this the kind of lifestyle that's only reserved for a super apostle like Paul? Or maybe for a missionary that's serving cross-culturally and <clears throat> they've got to give up some things to live there and identify with, with people that are very different from them and speak their language? Or is, is this something that you and I, right here in Hernando, Mississippi, need to adopt as a way of life? It's a legitimate question. Well, fortunately, God's word answered it for us. We don't have to deliberate on it too long. And if you move on to chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. We're to witness in such a way that we're not offensive to people. That doesn't mean we can't speak truth. We must speak truth. But we must leave the door open for the next conversation. We must not run them away from Jesus, but pull them toward Jesus even if it doesn't happen in that moment. And then Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Yes. 
surrendering our rights for the gospel's sake, surrendering our rights for the lost sake, surrendering our rights for our own sake is indeed a pattern of life that you and I are commanded to be a part of. He makes it very clear there. So let me leave you with this final point. The point of it all. Our one great goal should be, as Paul's was, to glorify the Lord by winning the loss and building up the saints at any cost, even at the cost of giving up our own personal rights. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. Christ.